Welcome to the Great Good Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm Don. And we've spent the last decade plus working with passionate communicators, activists, and do-gooders around the country. We also host a conference called Create Good, where we gather folks to share their work and create a community for people trying to make the world a better place. The Create Good Podcast is a conversation with changemakers and rabble-rousers to find out what makes them tick and how they create good. Let's get started. I am so excited to have Sean on the podcast today. He is truly one of the most interesting, most brilliant people I think I've ever met. And I'm excited to talk to him again today. So thanks for coming on, Sean. Uh, Let's start with this. Uh, Tell everyone a little bit more about yourself. Let's see. I'm Sean Demetrius Arturo Alvarez Taylor. I um, have a long history in adolescent mental health and juvenile justice work. And while I was doing that for 20 plus years, I was also a bouncer because I absolutely love nightlife as, besides the alcohol and the violence. But I love music. I love the club life. I love people dancing and feeling as if they have a community. Um, I moved from that type of work to education. I've, I'm a, I've been a university lecturer at SF State since 2008, I guess. Um, I'm a folklorist by training. And I see everything as folklore. I think my biggest claim to fame was arguing with people that hip hop wasn't a subculture, but that it was actually black and Latinx folklore. And people got mad, but now everyone's coming around to that point of view. And I was doing that as a, I sounds like a hipster. I was doing that 20 years ago, but I was. And um, my goal now is just really to figure out how to use narrative and story and storytelling um, tips and, and practices to bring us all together to make us, because literally we are only as good as our relationships. And that's my goal is to, is to braid us together with really good story. What did you say your, your new title you're working on? Would you call it? It's like, it sounds so absolutely pretentious, but I think like narrative engineer, story engineer, story architect, something like that, because it's really about not telling fanciful tales, but how do I get the most authentic story from people in their situations and contexts to create something that they can see themselves in like, oh, we, we're dope. Like, that's my goal. I want everybody to feel dope. We're structured this a little bit around nonprofits. So I'm not sure if this would apply directly to your work or maybe if you want to talk about um, the work you've done around education. But, you know, why in, in that sort of space? I mean, I think nonprofits are horrible storytellers. And I think they, they don't do a really good job of really getting to because nobody cares what you do. They care about what effect you can have on them. And I think that we're always, we serve this population, this, but what are you doing for them? And so a lot of my consultation work is really going into nonprofits and having them restructure their, their, their outward facing story. Your inward facing story, fine. Let's get into the nuts and nuts and bolts. Let's get into the nitty gritty. But your outward facing story has to be simple. It has to be direct. And most of all, it has to be, I hate the word authentic because it doesn't do everything we want it to do all the time, but it has to be something that people go, oh, so if I engage with them, I will be transformed in the way that I want to be transformed. As opposed to, I don't want to be a demographic that they serve because it feels real pathologizing. And so I think nonprofits can do a better job of a marshalling and braiding resources. You don't need 45 spoken word nonprofits. You should have, you should combine your forces and reach the most amount of people possible. And I think that you also have to figure out how to tell an effective story in a way that motivates your employees and also motivates the public to actually want to work with you. 
thinking about this, like nonprofit specifically, for that work, kind of what does that do for you? I was thinking like there's no shortage of companies, corporates in particular, looking, you know, trying to harness their story for profits. You know, what what is it about maybe the nonprofit cause that I, mean, I, think, I think it's values. Like I think because I have certain values is why I'm not Oprah wealthy. It's because when you have when you want to help, you don't make much money. Um, which is which is weird, but you know, I've taken on a couple of corporate clients that shared values or I had to hold them to account for the values. And like if you don't rock with this, I can't rock with you because I just there's a world I want to live in. There's a world I want to create for my daughter. Yeah. That is a really about equity and parity. And I think a lot of nonprofits, you know, there is a nonprofit industrial complex that are poverty pimps and prey on the people they're supposed to serve. There's a lot of that out there. And I've worked for a couple of them unwittingly when I was like, oh, this is what we're doing. Time to go. But I think that what the nonprofit space does, it really allows you to sit with your values and gut check your values every so often. Where if you're in a corporate space, you're just trying to serve the entity. Whereas with the nonprofit space, you're serving the mission. And sometimes the mission has to be agile enough to be able to change to, to, to whatever's coming up to change. And I think that that's what I like. I like the idea of having to gut check myself. Yeah. So of all the work you've done, what's your favorite thing about what you get to do? I get to make people see how dope they are. Like that is literally like the highlight because I'm, you know, I'm doing a series of online courses now for parents with quiet children and how to best support quiet children. And I'm writing an ebook that goes along with the course. And I've been doing a lot of like parent work lately. Like schools will call me like, Hey, we have these parents are cussing us out because of this. And it's like how to best support your kid. And then parents are like, Oh, wait a minute. I know how to do this stuff. You see like this and you're like, they like, they light up and you're like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what I'm talking about. It's about you understanding that you are dope and that you're not nearly as helpless as, as society is trying to make you out to be. And so I love to see people and I love to see when organizations go, hey, this mission statement no longer serves us. What's our new one? And that to me, I love that. That's literally the reason I do the work is like, I want to, so I want people to see how dope they are because I know I'm dope. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, and it's not arrogance. It's that I think that when you are fully aligned your values are aligned, your interests are aligned. There's something that is liberating and super propulsive about that. And I just, that's, I feel like I'm, I'm dope. That's awesome. Uh, sounds like you love everything mostly. <laughs> Sometimes it can get kind of, kind of challenging. There's yeah. Uh, so what would you change if you had kind of the magic wand, you could wave it around and, change one thing about your work life, what would it be? I probably would have invested more money so I could literally, because I would love to have a center so people can come and and and, and train and, and connect with each other. Like, that's what I probably would have done. But I also think I would have, in hindsight, I would have got on this road quicker because I started out, I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast to get into tech and I worked in tech and it was the most disheartening soul destroying thing I've ever felt in my life. And I just, and I did it for a while and I was just like, why am I here? Cause the money was so good. Yeah. But then I had this realization that I don't need a lot and money can be, I can always get money Yeah. to make the basics. I don't have to be like swimming like Scrooge McDuck in that like golden <laughs> swimming pool, you know, with gold yeah. coins. But what I can do is stay true to my values. And I, and, and, and being true to my values has allowed me to 
travel and do things, but I wish I would have discovered this calling earlier. I think I probably did have that calling, but coming from a super poverty background, I chose security over my heart. And I think I'm now at this advanced age, I'm understanding like to get back to the heart work. That heart work is security. Yes, it is. It's yeah. It's like payment for the soul. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. Um, yeah, it's funny when we did this, I had the same question of, you know, or the same answer of, you know, basically what I want to cho- do in the future. And it's like, well, I really want a space, you know, and it's not necessarily an office space for us, but like a gathering spot, and a, like a thing yeah. for a community. Yeah. I'll tell you my number one goal. My number one thing I wish I could do is I want a cafe that has no Wi-Fi that you play dominoes and you talk shit all day. Like, that's it. Like, you play dominoes, you play spades, you play backgammon, and you just talk to people of different races, different cultures. I'd have ASL interpreters on site. I'd have language. Like, that's literally my goal. Like, I'm looking at my my, my 401k, like, do I want to just, I won't live long enough to spend this. Oh, do I just want to, like, cash everything out and try this now? Like, that's, I I mean, you know, but then then you're like, the new COVID reality. You're like, well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, not really. Maybe, maybe it's not the best idea right now. Just open a cafe called like 1993 and it's all just <laughs> right there. All that era. <laughs> um, all right. That happened. I will make that happen. That's literally on my, on my list of just. Well, place. When it opens, give me a call. I will <laughs> fly across the country no. So, you know, I don't know anything about dominoes, but I will learn <laughs> to come. Yeah. I'm Puerto Rican and Jamaican. I mean, I was born with dominoes in my hand. <laughs> uh, so looking forward, what are you looking forward to in the next year? Um, getting this ebook out for parents and getting these this first um, course up. Um, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to create a change retreat at the Sundance um, Resort in july to um, be a mentor to some folks and i am going to be uh, presenting at the international uh, festival arts and culture in connecticut the month before that and so i'm looking forward to that and just writing some more i got a chance to really write a lot i'm retiring from teaching this after the semester since 2008 i won't be teaching in the fall which is a weird adjustment but there's just things that there's so many projects I'm going to get done. And I have a, a daughter who turns 14 in two weeks. I want to, who's like finally finding what she's about. She's a, she's a musical theater kid. And I want to be around for that as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I know I've had that same thought looking into the future for myself. I'm like, you know, when the kids needs more hands-on guidance, even more than now. And like, you know, can I take her and show her experiences? Oh. And that's what it's about. It's about like, what can I show you that will enhance your life? Yeah. In a way that you're going to be able to go like, oh, my dad did this. Like, you know, because it's just really important for my, for me. Cause like, you know how it is, you know, you have kids, you, I'm the wrestle giggle parent. Well, yeah. my, my, my wife is the, I have an existential crisis parent, yeah. but I'm becoming that more. I'm like, we like now at this age, she's almost 14. You know, we're talking about crushes. <laughs> we're talking about all these things that are making me stress, but she's trusting me with it enough that I have to be on my I have to be on my game. You gotta be ready. Yeah, you can't you have, to, you have to be compassionate and empathic and you can't shut them down when they're being honest with you. 
That's true. Yeah, I feel like you can get one or two shots at that, and then you're... Oh, because if you shut it down, you're done. You're, yeah, the, you're done. The TV and the other parts of the culture will be raising, you, raising them for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So you've done a lot, like I was saying earlier, like reading um, your bio and everything you've just been into. Like, you've done so much. What do you feel like you still need to do? Like, what do you feel like you still need to achieve? Oh. Besides the uh, coffee shop, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely on that. I mean, I'm within the next five years for sure. If, if, if the Republicans don't kill us, that's going to happen within the next five years. Um, I think I'm really, I don't, I want to get a novel out. I have a novel that I've been toying with for a long time. I mean, I'm a huge sci fi fantasy head, but I have this great novel that's set in the music world, but it's all sci fi. And so I'm looking forward to that's like all about nightclubs and nightlife. <laughs> so I want to get that out. I want to do some more training of people. I love working with people and I would like to, um, I don't know. I mean, I think I just, I, I've been lucky. I've been really coming from, you know, a super abusive household, super poverty, grew up in the Walt Whitman houses in Brooklyn. Like I grew up awful. Then I'm looking at how it's now, you know, I'm looking at like you know, the degrees I have, you know, I'm about to be married for 20 years coming up. And it's just like, life is really good right now. And I think I've done, but I think my, the greatest thing I really want to do is have some type of training institute for people and storytelling and story braiding. So we can start making cross-cultural connections in a way that mad has mattered. That's meaningful. Like that's kind of like the thing I really like to do. And so now, as you know, joining the ranks of the elders, even though that feels uh, too soon. Yeah, you know, we got the you got the kids coming up behind us. Yeah. Uh, you know, what advice do you have for someone starting their career, maybe interested in story or in, um, you know, even you know, education or the nonprofit space? What uh, what kind of advice do you have for them? Wow, advice is always a tricky thing for me, but I would say like. My suggestion would be never compromise your values because once you move that goalpost, that goalpost is going to be forever movable. And I'm not saying be inflexible to the point where you can't see, I'm not saying having a fixed mindset, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to, to, to be amenable to new information that's valuable. But if you aren't, if you took a firm stance of sobriety, but you drink socially, you're going to start slipping. And I think that it's something like you have to have values. Like for me, like I will never like my wife hates this, but like if I see an injustice, I'm always going to step in. Always, whether it's verbally, whether it's physically, I'm always in that stomach. But if I see people mistreating people, you know, I'm not going to work for a place that does that. I know so many people who work for this place where they treat their employees well, but they treat the cleaning staff like trash. And people are still at the place working. And I will never, I would never do that. I would have to leave. Or I would have to raise enough hell that they're going to throw me off the premises. <laughs> in our agency, Don's the client services person, but I'm the I'm the person who uh, kind of brings the hammer and ends relationships if we have to. And I'm definitely the one, like Don's trying to make stuff work, and I'm the one when I hear things or if I see an email of how they're talking to someone here, and I'm yeah. like, nope. No, that's not going to happen. Mm. So you're either going to change your tone or we're done. We're done. You know? And I know, I've, I know I've missed out. And this is how much of a torturous idiot I am. I'm such a masochist that I like counted the money that I've lost by sticking to my values. <laughs> and it's over a million dollars. And I'll be perfectly yeah. transparent with you. It's over. It's like a mill too. 
<laughs> oh man, it's like a it's like a shadow four hundred one k just hanging out there. <laughs> Never gonna get cash in. It's a shadow middle finger of dollar signs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Telling me that I'm that my values are they're stupid because it made me broke, but yeah. I wouldn't change anything. Like I said, I mean, I got offered to to write a movie that would have done fairly well, and I knew, and I saw how black folks are depicted. I was like, absolutely not, unless I can make changes. And they're like, nope. I was like, never mind. Bye. Do you know which money this is? Absolutely, I, I can count. But no, I'm not going to because I just think that we there's not enough conviction. I think conviction has become too malleable for a lot of people. I'm not saying you want to be like you know Greensboro, Joe Church, you know, or whatever those people are, like being all like no, yeah. but it's not about being inflexible. But it's like, but it's about being able to hold a code. Yeah, and it's I think what's interesting about it is. If you if you walk around and you kind of truly believe uh, you know that most people are good and you know they have a good heart in general that when you encounter it it's like you you have two choices right you can either correct it or kind of look the other way right it, there's not really a third option yeah and I know for a fact I'm putting myself in danger my wife has reminded me of that <laughs> more often than not yeah yeah, but, yeah I mean I have a good mouthpiece and I didn't take martial arts for forty years for no reason. Yeah. You know, not to, I'm not, I'm not a tough guy at all. I'm literally like, can we get some Skittles and watch a movie? Like, I'm not, I'm not a yeah. tough guy, but I will, yeah. I can't stand people. I hate bullies. I hate them. Bullies. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to get this back on track. We diverge a little bit. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, feedback. This is definitely one that Dawn is very interested in. She's writing a book about it. And, um, she's, you know, because over the last 11 years, we've had over 100 nonprofits. And so she's had a lot of feedback from different people. And she's seen this sort of like different types of feedback and how people process it and do weird shit with it. So um, so for you, how do you personally process criticism and feedback on your work? I consider the source first. Like if it's somebody who I don't really care about. But the thing is... I know an asshole of a guy who gave me the best feedback of my life. <laughs> I was just like, and I hate this guy's guts, but he was so right. Um, but no, I think it's really about just getting your ego out of the way. There's a Dallas concept called Wu Wei, like kind of getting out of your way. And that's what you have to do because I think most feedback, most people don't know how to give feedback. They just don't know how. But most feedback is valuable, right? Even though it may hurt and it may sting because it's delivered in an ugly way. But you have to move through your initial ego reaction to go, oh, oh, damn. Yeah, you're right. Like, I remember, like, you know, having my daughter give me feedback. <laughs> you don't read to me enough. And I was just like, oh. And when she said it was, and I saw her face, and I was like, and I'm thinking I'm doing, I think I'm dad of the year. I think I'm reading every night. I think I'm doing the best stuff. But then I'm like, I realized that, oh, I read to her twice a week. And she was little and that's it. And I'm thinking I'm, and I'm, I'm a guy. So I'm magnifying my greatness in my head <laughs> for so often, but it's really like the source and, and what is the feedback? Like, is it from your ego or is it really about whatever's at hand? Is it about like, is it just like you feel uncomfortable? So you think you have to do something, even though it's not, I mean, feedback, it's like your issue or is it my issue? Like those are the things I really consider. Like, I think a lot of people give feedback because they feel frustrated with themselves. And so they want to offload that frustration and, and, and personalize it to someone else. Whereas they should like focus on their own stuff and then create a coherent 
<laughs> a coherent word for you to understand. But yeah, I mean, like, it's really just for me, like, is it useful? Kind of what Bruce Lee said, right? Absorb what's useful, reject what's useless, and add what's your own. And that's my thing. That's how I get feedback. Like, I'll take some things, but certain things are not going to change. Yeah. But certain things, thank you. I didn't even know that I needed to actually change that. And I think it's really, you know, delivery, I don't really care so much. I have a thick skin. But if it's from somebody who has zero uh, expertise in an area, give me feedback on my area that I'm an expert. And I hate the reason we're expert in that I'm well-versed in. Then it's not going to happen. But if you're really holding me accountable, because I think feedback should do two things. It should hold you accountable and it should give you a way to get better. If it doesn't, if it doesn't include those two things, I really don't listen to it. <laughs> yeah. So what, um, so what kind of feedback style doesn't work for you? What kind of kind of passive aggressive? Like 94% of all nonprofit employees, <laughs> like <laughs> passive aggressive. No, just tell me, just don't try to couch it in something else. Just be like, Hey, in the meeting, when you did this, let's have a conversation about it. Okay. As opposed to, well, you know, if some people do that, like, no, be as direct with me as possible that way and, and give, and give me the feedback as soon as possible, as close to the event. Don't wait four weeks. Remember four Thursdays ago? I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> yeah. Because people, some people would argue that some people need time to gather their thoughts. Facts. But I shouldn't be dragged back in time because you aren't ready. And so if you can give me the feedback as soon as possible, then we can come to a consensus. We don't have to come to agreement, but we can come to a consensus. I think it's your best, maybe most productive. I'm trying to think how to word this, but maybe... Yeah, most productive, I think, would be good. Like relationship, you know, feedback relationship. What did that look like? How did that work out? It was the director. Oh, actually, at the time, he was the assistant director of juvenile, juvenile probation at San Francisco, of San Francisco County. I got, we got in the parking lot at the same time. He was like, we're not going in until we have this out. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he just really told me, he was like, we love what you do. We love this. But sometimes I think you belittle our guards in a way because they're coming from a protection standpoint and you're coming from a mental health standpoint. But I think you belittle our guards in a way that they don't want you to come here anymore because they feel like, like you think you're better than them. And I was like, oh, me advocating for a client turns into me being in opposition to the guard. And so I had to go in there hat in hand. When I walked into the staff building and I formally apologized in front of everybody, I said, I'm never going to stop advocating for children, but I will stop sounding like an entitled dick when I'm in here because I apologize for that. Like, I didn't realize that was the case. I wish I would have came to me directly. I apologize. In the future, you have my permission to check me in the moment, even in front of the client. So they know that adults are being responsible. And then, and then, then, you know, the director of probation was like, two weeks later, he was like, that was a brave thing you did. You know, he's like now, but then ever since then, all my relationships are super clean with everybody. They're always like, Oh, Sean, I'll come in. And like, it was, it was great after that, but yeah, yeah. It, it took some humility to go in there and admit that I was wrong. Yeah. But it felt good because he held me accountable for my actions. Yeah. So was your role as a consultant there? No, I was actually a, um, I was working on, um, helping, um, juvenile, uh, juvenile detainees step down from juvenile hall into their homes. Okay. I'm doing wraparound service. Interesting. Yeah, so I guess there is a little bit of a, was it like an adversarial setup in the beginning a little bit? Not a little bit. 
So basically, the people in juvenile justice thought that the people in mental health are soft. Yeah. Uh, we didn't understand crime. The I'm like, hey, guy, you like to see the bullet hole in my side when I got shot as a kid? Yeah, how about that? Like, we understand that. But the reality is I don't see them as lost, and the juvenile guards see them as lost. Mm. Like, you just, you just you just be back here in two weeks anyway. But I'm like, I can't think like that. I have to be a hope monger. I have to hope that the individuals that we put into place support this person and their family to the point where they're not recidivating. Well, let's move on to our last few questions. All right. First one's uh, about burnout. So as someone is kind of, I would say as prolific as you, how do you avoid burnout? It's why I do so many different things. <laughs> because I just, I think for me, burnout is really like, like I'm not the most talented guy in the world, but you're not going to outwork me ever. Like I'll outwork anybody. And that's a problem. And I know that is a trauma response to a lot of things. And, but for me, avoiding burnout is really finding the time, making the time, carving the time out to do the things that I dig. Like last night, and my daughter's in rehearsals for a play, so she's gone all last night. I, I sat on the couch and read, which I haven't done in three years. Like just like I, I'll catch like a couple chapters here and there, but usually I'm reading to write something, yeah. right? It's like references. I read a book. Fun last night. I was like, what kind of alternative universe is this? And I think for me, it's really just about recognizing the signs of burnout because so many people don't recognize the signs because we have this horrible self-care industry that's all about distraction, not about integrating it into a functional part of your life. And I my wife, who actually has an entire course on um racial battle fatigue and battling burnout for people of color in higher ed and in business like her course is phenomenal so i've been stealing a lot of tips and tricks from her like so you do what wait a minute i can do that <laughs> you know and just understanding what my boundaries are understanding what my limits are because you know i think so many of us especially black folks we have been taught and conditioned to work through pain because you have bills to pay or you have this to do and then it's like what happens when you have nothing left? Yeah. Like, where's your downtime come? Yeah. And I want to tell everybody in nonprofit right now, sometimes self-care is quitting. And I want you to be honest about that. And I get those bills and car notes and gas is $85,000 a gallon, whatever it is. I understand that. But sometimes self-care is to lead the situation that is negatively impacting you. And I think not enough people think that leaving is an option, but yeah, you can leave. I think I think that's great to hear. I don't know. Sometimes the worst thing you do is just hold on to the bitter end. But why? I know. Why work yourself till your bones are ripping off your 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 flesh is ripping off your bones, or your muscles are fatigued, or your brain is mushed out? Like you can leave. I'm not saying leave you to put yourself in a situation where you're like you're going to be homeless. But what I'm saying is like set it up to leave because they're going to replace you in two weeks anyway. Like you really owe no one anything unless it's your operation. And so prioritize yourself. This is more a big picture question here. The work you do around, especially around narrative, like what, what keeps you engaged? What keeps you coming back to doing that work every day? Good question. As I had three hours of sleep last night, I'm like, <laughs> that's a really good question to ask. I should have been asleep last night. Um, <laughs> I think I'm almost like maniacally curious. And I think that curiosity falls on a spectrum, right? On one side of curiosity, one side of the spectrum, you have 
curiosity with an attachment, like how something works, what does it mean? But then the, on the other far end of the spectrum, you have a um, the curiosity of how kids are curious. They just dig things just to dig them for the experience without any expectation. I try to live in that moment more often than not. And I love to be curious about things. I love to, and I love to, 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 to work with people as they get curious as well. Because if you are juiced about something, I'm going to be doubly juiced about it because I'm watching you in the process. Plus, I'm learning something new. Like, I've always been relentlessly curious as a kid. And I just think that it just, I mean, I've been 12 years old since I've been 12 years old. I mean, like, that's kind of like where my brain is. I'm like, oh, look at that. It's not like shiny, shiny uh, tensile syndrome, like I'm a kitten, but it's always like, I will learn. Like, my favorite people in the world are librarians. I'll call a library to ask for something if I don't even need it, just to hear the process of them working that out to find out what I'm talking about, like, literally, because there's something about putting things together and then, but not having it be the end when it's together, but having it lead you someplace else. Like for me, like I said, I think it's a literally relentless curiosity. How would you describe the the importance of curiosity in your life? Oh, I don't think you can live without being curious. I don't think you can live a full enough life without being curious. I think that you have to have a wonder and an awe about the things around you. Like there's a comic book art, uh, author um, called Grant Morrison, and he was talking about like, imagine walking through the world and every single thing that you see has a secret to tell you. And like, that's how I walk through the earth. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Can't get, bored. can't get bored. Yeah. All right. Last bit. This is the rapid fire part. All right. What's your favorite word? I can't curse, can I? Oh, that's coming. <laughs> F Hope that's not. Okay. So, but F word's my favorite word. Actually, my favorite, my, literally, my favorite word is connection, to be honest. Okay. What's your least favorite word? Can't. What's your personal nonprofit or cause passion? Making sure people know how dope they are. What do you, what uh, nonprofit cause do you think gets too much attention? Oh my animals. What's your favorite curse word? Oh fuck! All day, every day. So, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, uh, chocolatier. Oh, wow. That's cool. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, what other nonprofit professional, so person or organization, uh, would you like to talk to on this podcast? Oh, man. Somebody with, who works with like the oceans, who does like ocean conservation work. Thanks for coming. Of course. Whatever you need. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Take it uh, easy, man. Thank you, man. Take care of yourself. I did. Yeah. Thanks again to Sean for making time to chat today. This is always so fantastic to talk to him. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. If you want to get all the new episodes sent to you as we release them, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And until then, keep creating good.